Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning we have commemoration of the righteous Gideon. So we're going to do another Old Testament story this morning. The righteous Gideon. Where do you find the story of the righteous Gideon? The Old Testament. Good. All right. Which book? What time is he in? He's in the middle somewhere. Judges. Judges chapter 6 through 8. The book of Judges is this precarious time between the conquest of Israel led by Joshua and then the appointment and anointing of kings through Samuel. This was a time of great chaos for Israel. Oppression from their foes. The land being destroyed and not fruitful. And when Gideon is called by God to save his people because the judges, well, a good number of them, were ones faithful to God and who God summoned forth to save his people. They're like little Joshua's, little saviors that come forth to free the people and not just to free the people, but to restore correct worship. Because Israel at this time, part of the reason why God allows the oppression from the fo- their foes in the time of Gideon, we hear about Israel has fled up into the mountains, like, not like the Edomites from last week, but they fled up into the mountains because the Midianites keep coming every time it's harvest time, taking their food and then burning and raising all the lands. So the Israelites have moved away from the land that you want to be in to make food, and they're going further and further up into the hills. The reason for all of this chaos, God allowing this chaos, according to the book of Judges, is because Israel continues to want to play the harlot with Baal, the fertility god. We keep hearing about this throughout this year as we go over various prophets. This was their favored uh, idol to go a-whoring after. We find Gideon in Judges 6 at the Terebinth tree. And we find him threshing wheat in a wine press, which should already send off some notes or a flag. Who threshes wheat in a wine press? Even if you don't know anything about threshing wheat, does it seem like you thresh wheat in a wine press? No. Why is he doing this? Does anyone have any recollection? He's doing this, and this is going to be a theme throughout the life of Gideon. He's doing this because he's hiding, because he's afraid. Because the Midianites, as I just told you, they're coming and they're taking all the crops, they're destroying everything and leaving Israel with nothing. So he's threshing wheat, he's making food secretly in a wine press under a tree. An angel of the Lord appears to him. Anyways, it's like an annunciation. The terebinth tree, we have an echo of Abraham being visited by the angels. And we have the same dialogue. The angel appears and says, the Lord is with you. You mighty man of valor. You're going to find out Gideon is not really a man of valor at all. But hear what God is saying to him, the angel of the Lord. You mighty man of valor, you hiding in the winepress from your enemies. You're going to be the one who's going to save Israel. What is Gideon's response? Where's God been all this time? Why did God allow all this to happen? And the angel of the Lord says, but 
you're going to save Israel. And Gideon says, how, are you, how am I going to save Israel? My tribe is the smallest, weakest tribe that there is. And in, in this tribe, I'm the least of this tribe. We've heard this story again and again in the Old Testament. The weakest, the smallest, this is whom God proclaims, you mighty man of valor. And the Lord says to him after he says this, how can it be me? You can hear echoes of Abraham. You can hear echoes throughout all of scripture. And God says to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now Gideon, as we're going to see throughout his story, he wants a sign. Because while God is telling him, you're a mighty man of valor, we learn that it's going to take some time for him to become this mighty man of valor. Gideon asks for a sign, and the angel of the Lord performs it. Gideon then realizes, yes, he's really talking to the angel of the Lord. In our tradition, the angel of the Lord, this, this is Christ talking to him. This is not just a random, that's why in the dialogue it goes back and forth from God talking to him to the angel of the Lord talking to him. Just back and forth. That evening after he's had this visitation from the angel, God appears to him and tells him, go to your father's house because he has an altar to Baal. Tear down that altar, destroy the idol, and then put up an idol and make sacrifices the way you're supposed to, to Yahweh. So Gideon does this. He gathers 10 men because he's not going to do this alone. And when does he go do it? Does anyone remember? He does it in the middle of the night. Why does he do it in the middle of the night? Because he's afraid. He doesn't want to be caught. They go. They do it. They destroy the altar. They destroy Baal the idol. And they offer sacrifice and build an altar to Yahweh. The next morning, everyone wakes up. The people who had installed that altar probably dedicated it to their ancestors and all sorts of stuff. They're all upset. They're all going. They're wondering who did this. Now, when you bring 10 people with you to accomplish something, what do you think happens with 10 people? There's probably at least one person who, when they woke up the next morning, or they're all gathered around looking at the chaos and then the new altar, they're like, I carved that. You know, I did that. So they know it's Gideon. They go to Gideon's house and does Gideon come out and defend himself? Do you know who comes out and defends himself? Defends Gideon? It's his dad. Gideon's hiding. Gideon's dad comes out and says, you know what? If this idol is something, why doesn't he get up? Why doesn't he talk? Just the classic critique of idolatry, right? Gideon is brave when he could do it in the cover of night, when he's got ten men with him, and when dad's going to cover him when he gets caught the next morning. Okay? Mighty man of valor. The Midianites attack. Gideon, having been chosen by God, he blows his trumpet and he assembles many people from all over Israel to come and fight. But Gideon needs reassurance. And this, if there's a story about Gideon that you may know, this is about the fleece. This is where he wants a sign from God that you are with me. So he puts out the fleece and the next morning the, fleet is, the fleece is wet 
and all around the floor is dry. There's no way this could happen. It would all be wet or it would all be dry. Gideon needs a little bit more reassurance. And God, all of this, God is constantly saying, okay, Gideon, I will meet you. I will do this. The next time, the fleece is completely dry, but all around it is wet. God reassures and tells him, you're the man of valor. I'm with you. We can do this. Now, all Gideon has gathered together, 32,000 men of Israel to fight against the Midianites. And the Lord says to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim all the glory for themselves and said, look what we did. You know, my own hand has accomplished this. Now he says, go down to the people of Israel who have gathered together to fight the Midianites and say, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. 22,000 people said, okay, I'm afraid. Bye. 10,000 are left. You can see Gideon starting to sweat here. Like, God, what are you doing? 32,000 is good numbers. We've got a lot of people to fight here. But the Lord says to Gideon, you know, there's still too many people. And Gideon's like, you just decimated our forces. We have a third of the people that we had. Bring them down to the water. And God says, I will test them for you there. Then you will be able to tell who should stay and who should go. Does you remember this test that God? This is the water test, Right. Who's going to get down on all fours and drink from the, the creek or from the river? Or who is going to take their hands and cup and drink out of their hands? So you have 10,000 people that are go, going to go through this test. How many people are left who did not get down on their fours and lap it like a dog? 300. Think of Sparta, right? Okay. <laughs> 300 are left. Now God is like, all right, this is what we need. You can see Gideon just being like, please, God, what are you doing? That same night, God comes to him and says, go down into the camp for I will deliver it to you. But if you are afraid to go down, Go down with your servant and listen to what they're talking about. Again, God coming beside this man of valor and saying, I'm going to deliver this to you. If you're afraid still, here, let me show you and reassure you again. So Gideon goes down into the camp with his servant and hears a man telling about his dream. This is a really funny, weird dream. The man there in the camp, the Midianite says, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. Like a bramble or something. Just a loaf of barley bread comes in. It hits a tent and the whole tent collapses and falls down. That's where Gideon's friend is like, see, you're the barley bread. (laughs) Your sword is that barley bread. So Gideon says, okay, it's being delivered into our hand. That evening, he gathers the 300. He gives them swords. He gives them pitchers. And inside those pitchers, he has torches. He tells them they go up because Midian is down in the valley. They go up on the sides. They surround them. 
when Gideon says, when I blow my trumpet, then you will blow your trumpets. You will crack open the pitchers and there'll be light. And you are going to say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. You're going to yell this. He divides them up to three companies, a hundred here, a hundred there, a hundred there. So that when they do this in the middle of the night, the Midianites think that there's thousands around them instead of the 300. And then the chaos, they turn and they rend and they kill each other and then starts a great chase for the kings of Midian. Gideon, through God, is able to save Israel, that they may eat, that they may be restored to peace. And you'd think this is the story. Gideon, the man of valor, the one who has defeated all things, all that opposed Israel. We come to the end of the story of Gideon and the men of Israel, because of all the things that he had done, he said, they tell Gideon, rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. This is always the test in the book of Judges. Is God going to be their king or do they need a king? Right? We, we see this in Samuel with David and Saul. But Gideon, the mighty man of valor, declines. I will not rule over you. Nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. But Gideon says, I've got one request. Each of you gives me a pair of gold earrings from the plunder that we just did. So they all did. Gideon got away like a bandit. Gideon got tons of gold. What does Gideon do? Like all mighty men of valor, he makes himself a nice outfit. This outfit, a golden ephod. Do you know what an ephod is? What the priests of Israel would wear when they go in to serve in the altar? What an odd garment for Gabriel, uh, sorry, Gideon to make. He has been visited by God. He has been reassured time and time again. He turns down being king, but he likes to put on a priestly garment What happens when he puts on this priestly garment is that he sets up and Israel begins to play the harlot again. And this priestly garment, this usurping, this going beyond what Gideon was supposed to, Scripture tells us became a snare to Gideon and to his house. The one who was so afraid, who needs so much reassurances from God, Suddenly now, when the power and money comes into it, he starts messing around with idolatry. After God has appeared to him and has worked miracles, has saved them, Gideon ever so... It doesn't, really, it doesn't say that he worshipped Baal, but it says that he allowed things to happen in his household. He had 70 kids, 70 sons. Right? You can, you can hear... Solomon's going to be an echo of this, right? Towards the end of Gideon's life, he dies. Israel mourns him. But then immediately after Gideon dies, 40 years of peace. 
they all return back to Baal. They forget what Gideon had done, what God had done. So what can we learn from Gideon? Well, first we can learn how God works. God works with the small, the insignificant, and he does everything in his power to prepare, arm, and fight for them. The angel of the Lord, Christ himself, revealed to Gideon time and time again, every time he's afraid or needs reassurance, God shows up and reassures him. But what we see from the life of Gideon is that faith takes practice. Hope takes formation. Random heartfelt acts of piety do not produce a solid foundation. Look at what Gideon goes through and then look how at the end of his life there's a slump, there's degradation, there's boundaries that should not be crossed that he ever so softly passes through them crosses them the intention of Gideon did not stop his actions from overwhelming him and they have incredible ramifications does you remember who the son of Gideon is Abimelech go read about Abimelech if Gideon is a mighty man of valor Abimelech is like the inverse of everything if Gideon was a basically a good guy a good judge who we remember in the church as righteous because he saves Israel, Abimelech takes and kills all of his brothers. That's a lot of brothers. There's 69, and this is one who prophesies against them. But Abimelech, that playing the harlot, that little bit that Gideon lets in, Abimelech becomes the antithesis of everything that Gideon wanted. Gideon is someone who shows us that we need to look out for major transitions in our life. Work, family, moving, deaths, births, all sorts of transitions, maybe even little transitions. They all produce challenges. Gideon, as he's prepping for war, is entreating God. He's being reassured by God. But when Gideon settles down after all of this and there's peace, 70 children, 70 sons, a golden ephod. He doesn't want to be king, but he wants to live in luxury. Now, you might be scratching your head and saying, hold on, Father. Aren't we commemorating Gideon today? The righteous Gideon? Why? Like, great, there's a great ark, but then at the end, it seems like he's coming down. What's what's going on? Well, this underlines for us something that I think that we tend to forget. Saints of the church are not perfect, flawless people. Saints are not perfect. That's not your and I's goal to be perfect and flawless. We're to be virtuous. We are to seek after God. We are to be faithful. That's the issue that Gideon starts to introduce into his family. But Gideon is known and remembered and commemorated for the church because He delivered Israel. He was faithful. Remember and commemorate Solomon. We remember and commemorate all sorts throughout the history. And hopefully one day, there's going to be people in the future that we're going to commemorate, and they're not going to be perfect. Does this mean that we do not learn from Gideon's mistakes? Or we say, okay, at the end of my life, I can let it go. No. 
That is not the example that we have of Gideon. What we need to remember from the life of Gideon is God acting in and through Gideon. That God is on our side. God is with us. This is a season of preparation for Christ coming in the most vulnerable and helpless way possible. As a baby, Gideon, the least, the one from whom no one would expect anything, the one who hides, the one who is nothing, is the one whom God creates into a man of valor. It is God summoning us in our weakness and our lack to great acts of valor But this is just all the small things that we have to do. Because real valor comes from our actions, not just our thoughts. Real valor is shown based upon our convictions that have been built up, solidified through action. So let us remember the righteous Gideon. Let us remember his faithfulness to God, even in his fear. Let us remember that God reassures us. Let us also remember to make sure that we attend to ourselves, that do we not put aside a golden ephod, that we do not let in, in small ways, chaos and poison into our homes, but that we stay faithful to God so that our children and our children's children do not go after the idols of Baal. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.